This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. I love it when I get to introduce a brand new series. That's always one of my favorite episodes of every year when we get to like roll out the next handful of weeks where we're going to kind of gather around the table around a central idea. And so today kicks off a new series called For the Love of Calming the Chaos. (laughs) I don't know if I need to explain why we chose this as a series right now. It almost makes me feel emotional. I feel a little tight in my throat when I just think about, there's just days right now I look around the world and just go, this wasn't meant to be this way. You know, like everything is so noisy and it feels so chaotic and there's so much just loss and struggle and dissension and disappointment. and. To some degree, that's just how it's always been, right? Like every generation has had this experience. It's not like we're the first generation to live in a chaotic world. It just feels acute right now. And so we, over here at the show, we're like, what if we built a series around this idea of bringing calm to the chaos in a lot of different ways? It's going to have a lot of different facets, but what would it look like to to peel this down. Is it possible? Is it possible to experience something close to calmness or peace in the midst of what is undeniably chaotic for every one of us? And so that's what this series looks like. I feel like we've expertly chosen our first episode, our first guest for this series to introduce the series. I mean, I never took a breath during this episode. I was just so connected and listening and identifying and feeling inspired and feeling something gentle, like 
moved through my heart and mind over the course of this entire conversation. So I know that you know what it feels like to make all the plans in the world and even like work your little fingers to the bone, fall asleep at your laptop, have these big, huge dreams. And then even then they don't add up, right? Or it's like a series of disappointments and losses and it's painful and you've tried and you've planned and you organized. And then even then, even still, it could all unravel and fall short. And for someone like me and my guest today, it's even harder when you've been used to self-medicating through like validation and excellence and getting gold stars. I mean, you know, I understand that. I'm an Enneagram three and I had this shiny life. Well, it wasn't as shiny, of course, behind closed doors. It never is, but it was what I presented at least. And then when that falls away and you're just left with, well, the truth of it all, what then? And so our guest today reminds us pain is often the portal to the best stuff in life. And I just unfortunately have to tell you that that has been completely true for me. So you guys, I want to welcome to this brand new series, our first guest today. We're talking to Alexis Jones. Let me tell you about Alexis. If you don't already know her, she is an internationally recognized speaker and activist and writer. You might've read her wildly popular book called I Am That Girl. And she has just released a brand new one called Joy Hunter, Messy Faceplants, Radical Love, and the Journey that Changed Everything, which we're going to talk about. You're going to be so glad that you hit download today. Know this, guys. When Alexa speaks, people pay attention. She has been featured on a little thing called Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's been invited to speak at the White House, the UN, Harvard, Google, Facebook, as a Profiles in Power winner, she was even called one of the five most influential women in Texas. And since there are a lot of influential women in Texas, wink, that's no small thing. So Alexis and her husband, Brad, along with their, spoiler alert, brand new little boy named Bridger, they live in Bozeman, Montana. And fun fact, number one, Brad is a retired pro basketball player. Number two, Brad used to be in our youth group when we very first moved to Austin, Texas in the year 2000. (laughs) He played high school basketball. And then we went on to watch him play in college and on to watch him play in pro. I have known him for over 20 years. And he is an absolute delight in his own right. And I tell Alexis this right out of the gate, but I remember seeing Brad at a UT basketball game so long ago. And he was like, you got to meet my wife. Like you really have to, she is special and you are kindred. And he was not wrong. You guys are going to love Alexis. Remember, if you like to watch interviews, go over to YouTube channel because you'll get to see her and like watch us talk, which is, I don't know. That's how I experience all the podcasts. So that's my favorite way, of course, is to see my guests tell their stories. But please enjoy this conversation. I know that you're going to. It's captivating. It is refreshing. It's relatable. And it's super hopeful. Talk about inserting an injection of calm into the chaos. I'm delighted, delighted to bring my conversation with the just wonderful, the beautiful, the absolutely dynamite Alexis Jones. Alexis, first of all, I'm so happy that you're here. Second of all, I'm so happy to see you again. You and I met. At a Texas basketball game a hundred years ago. Like, mm-hmm. it, can I say 10 years ago? Does that feel right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll say that. We'll stick with the, the low number of 10. So Brad, your husband, was in our youth group. Like, this was just, I can't. Like, everybody, every one of us was a baby, including myself. I laugh so hard to think back of my, like, early youth ministry days, because we were the adults in the room. But when I moved to Austin and met Brad, I was 25. So he was my peer. I was not his superior. 
So anyway, I remember one time being with Brad at a basketball game before I met you. And he was like, you just have to meet my wife. You just have to like, there's just no way that you guys should not know each other. And this was ages ago. And here, I'm just so happy to see you. I love that. I love that connection. And I remember him like raving about you. And I think sometimes we underestimate the impact that we have on people's lives whether it's like a short amount or a long time. And he always talks about you with such like fondness and in the, yeah, it's just a beautiful connection. Total same. And he was right all those years ago. I did need to meet you and I'm so glad that I have, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. So I have already told my listeners just to sconch about who you are. So if you don't mind, let's just start here. Can we just do the, the high level, this is who you are, this is who your people are, this is where you are, this is kind of your deal. Sure. I am an author, much like yourself, and uh, a speaker, and that was a huge part of my life. For about 15 years, I was on the road between 150 and 250 days a year. So that I, was a big, I, a big chunk of my life, which I'm sure we'll dive into. We will. On uh, the lack of, of self-care there. Mm. I'm also newly a mama. It's a little Bridger boy. I am a wife to Bradley Buckman and just a fierce optimist and activist. And I think that's kind of an, an interesting intersection to sit at, but I, I love hard and I get a lot of damn. So, mm. and y'all live where we live in Bozeman, Montana now, both Austin natives. So that will always forever be hometown stomping ground. But we recently moved to Bozeman, Montana and just continue to be in a state of awe. If ever, it's pretty if ever dreamy. Got, so dreamy. And then yeah. Yellowstone, the TV show, is just yeah. like blown up our spot. So everyone's oh like, gosh. that's where you live? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. That is so true. Yeah. I have a million things that I want to talk to you about. I want, let's start here. You have built a very incredible life. I am a person that you can understand this about. I also love a gold star. Never met one I didn't love. And so I think sometimes it's possible that whatever it is that we're building, our our life, our work, our career, is a response to how we are feeling inside. We are building at something Mm -hmm. or out of something. And so you mentioned, and you've talked about this a lot, and this is what we're going to dive into, that you have been people pleasing basically your whole life, which as you say, was to overcompensate for a feeling of not being enough on a cellular level. I feel that mm-hmm. in my gut. Mm-hmm. Like I felt that sentence <laughs> in my gut. Let's talk about this. Let's just start there. Can you remember when you started feeling that way about yourself, that something about you was not enough on a cellular level? Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, it was growing up in Westlake in Austin, and mm. it was this Tell incredibly. Tell what that means. Yeah, so so Westlake was this in, an incredible school, but also reeked of privilege, and it was a very very wealthy neighborhood, and we were kind of the kids from the other side of the tracks. We lived in Cuernavaca, and I remember being on the school bus, and there was one of the bullies on the school bus, and they would chant Querny rat. And I just, so I remember being a little person on the bus, knowing that I was being made fun of, knowing that they had things that I didn't have. And I had this distinct memory of like staring out the window and like pretending like I couldn't hear them, right? Pretending like I was above it. I was like balling up my fist because I was so angry that something felt so unfair. And I had four older brothers, grew up with four older brothers. My mom was a single mom working two jobs. She actually worked at Deep Eddie was her second job, which was a local bar in Austin. And she was a paralegal during the day, Deep Eddie bartending at night. And then in the morning before we showed up to this very wealthy school, we would actually go and clean the bar. So in fourth grade, I was like scrubbing urinals and stocking beer and had a very different experience from a lot of my friends that I grew up with. So I think that was just kind of the first very tangible there is a difference here and feeling like I wasn't enough. And then I think that certainly got compounded with a lot of other things, but that's my first distinct memory of being a little person, you know, in elementary school and my mom's car getting made fun of because it was a total beater, you know, and it like the roof was rusted. And so I think that was kind of where it began. Maybe just that 
first sensation of, man, I'm, I'm not like everyone else here. And somehow internalized that something was wrong or different or wishing that things were different, I guess. Mm. So that metastasized and then you build this set of behaviors and patterns and responses around that internal missing piece, which I know completely, like I had some real formative years, like fourth and fifth and sixth grade, where I was just, I just felt like such an outsider and so teased and so awkward. And so I think about it to this day, I'm on 48 years old and it did inform a lot of the way I behaved for three more decades. And so you built a life out of that. And so when you were in, let's just say, peak pleasing people mode, which we're also going to dig into, what did your life look like? What did it look like externally? And what did it look like internally? Yeah, I think it it felt like a blur. I think that's, I, I think oh, it that's felt and looked word. like a blur in that the velocity by which I was operating was so neck breaking speed that everyone around me, I think the way that it presented was I was just busy all the time. And I was always doing these like amazing things. So when I wasn't on stages and, you know, out there getting national awards, I was like hiking mountains and traveling all over. And I, so I think it was very impressive to people, probably unrelatable, quite frankly, but I think that's how I hid. I hid behind what I perceived as extraordinary things. And I thought if I could present kind of this like cardboard cutout of myself and I could offer you something that was so, such a shiny version of me that you wouldn't see what was behind it. So I always think back about Easter and Thanksgiving and we would always go to my aunt and uncle's house to celebrate with our entire family. And I remember my uncle at one point being like, what is Wonder Woman up to these days? And I was like, yes, I'm like, somehow keeping up the act. Like people are still, and then I would just have things in my back pocket of like, oh, just got back from Tibet. I went and hiked 150 miles to the base camp of Everest. Like I needed these like one-liner things that felt extravagant. So I think from the outside, that's what it looked like. It was very mercurial. And I was always, you know, people would say, it's like, I never know where you are. Are you in town? Are you on a plane somewhere? And I think the inside was this fragility of like, I'm going to be found out. There was a fraudulence of like, it's just a matter of time, kind of like a shark. If I stop swimming, I am going to die. And so if I don't have these things that I can pull out of my back pocket and impress you with, then maybe I'm not extraordinary at all. And maybe I am simply an ordinary girl. And for me, that was never enough. That, that was my biggest fear. That was like the haunting shadow that I couldn't get away from was this idea that I had to affix the extraordinary things onto me because I wasn't enough as I was. So I'm thinking about my listeners and primarily women, but we're all just, turns out, ordinary people. Mm -hmm, As it turns out, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much what everybody is, no matter what the outside looks like. We're frustratingly just human at our, our core. And so one thing that I know about my community and my personal life as well, obviously, is that whatever we have planned or thought or perceived or expected, will we will deviate from it. Like you just will, whether by by hook or by crook, right? By choice or by force. And it's just fact. And so we're gonna lose something and something's gonna go sideways and something's gonna go wrong and something's gonna break apart and something's not gonna work. But sometimes when those start to compound starts to feel like a bit of a tidal wave and chaotic. And it's hard to wrap our arms around how to see our way through. And so I think that is a lot of us, this moment kind of right in that space where we decide I have to do something differently, whether I wanted to, or I'm forced to, it doesn't really matter, but like it has all converged to a point where I know I need to do something differently. So in the context of the story that you tell in Joy Hunter, What was that breaking point for you? Yeah, great question. I think it was exactly what you said. It was the tsunami that when it rains, it pours. And there was no more like white knuckling 
that I could present this perfect version of myself to the world. And looking back, of course, like what a gift, right? Because the gift of absolutely falling apart and losing everything that you think makes you matter because it's in that space that you, you realize you mattered all along. Like you said, like we are so extraordinarily ordinary that that is the beauty. And I didn't have that life lesson yet. And so for me, it was just, you know, if you can imagine like holding on to like 15 different spinning plates and being like, Oh no, like one more can't, can't tumble. And for me, it was a combination of COVID hit. I had been preparing to potentially run for office in Texas. And that seemed like the, the pinnacle of my life's career would be, that would be how I could be of service. So had, had put together an entire team of people and we were, we had been doing that for several months at that point, my entire career, which as we mentioned, 200, at that point, I had 150 events on the calendar already for 2020. And 150 events in one calendar year, one calendar year. I don't even know uh, for, for 2020 and being growing up kind of the poor kid in, in a, in a rich community, it was like, this is the year, like, this is the year I'm going to hit that financial number, whatever. We just have these like ridiculous abstract ideas or goals in our head that we think when we accomplish that, then we'll allow ourselves to feel good about ourselves. So I had, you know, I was reaching this professional mark in my life professionally and COVID hit. So all 150 events were canceled within two calendar work weeks. I abruptly went on unemployment. So not only was I not hitting the financial mark that I had like imagined right. my entire life, we had been trying to get pregnant for years. We had done IDF. We finally got pregnant. We lost the baby. Yeah. And that just felt like the most crucifyingly painful the first time I ever questioned if God exists, because I was just like, what kind of cruel God would give you something that you've been working so hard for, for years only to take it away. Right about a similar time, found out that my dad was not my biological father on ancestry.com because I was doing, I was doing the event with Glenn and Doyle and Abby Wambach. We were doing the together tour. So ancestry was our corporate sponsor. Oh, so we no. were just, Oh gosh. Normal. Oh, my. We were just doing traditional press, you know, for the tour so it was just like one curveball after another. It was my career. It was my identity. It was the future of how am I ever going to be a mom? Questioning the betrayal of my body. It was just like I had nothing left to stand on. And that was when I couldn't even, like the, the fractures in the foundation of my life, it was just like an atomic bomb, like blew up my entire life. Everything turned to dust. And this like perfect act that I had kept up at the expense of my health and well-being and this people pleasing, it was just like not even possible. That was the combustion of just every single thing, like I said, that I'd ever thought made me matter was taken away from me, like one after another. And that was the most beautiful invitation I had ever been given to find out who I really was and to start that journey of enoughness for exactly who I am, not for That's anything right. that I do or will ever do in this lifetime. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. So get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. And so let's talk about, and it's the beginning of the pandemic. So a lot of our avenues are cut off from us. We we don't get to just do some of the things that we might've done otherwise. Like what a weird time to be isolated. I lost my marriage at the, like in July and the pandemic started in March. And it was just like, what even is life? Like what even is life? And what even am I supposed to do? And where am I supposed to go? And we're in isolation. It was just, 2020 was a 
life-changing year for me too. What'd you do? What'd you do? Like, can you walk us through some of your early choices and how you got there? Yeah. I think the first one wasn't even necessarily a choice. It was probably a survival mechanism, which as you said, as these things are compounding, then you add the entire fear of a pandemic, you add a layer of isolation. And I think for the first couple of weeks, again, back to that blur. So it was, it was an irony that it was a different kind of blur because it was a blur of stillness. And I would wake up every day and come outside. And this was pretty soon after our miscarriage. And I would just cry. Like I, and I was someone who had a hard time meditating, right? I was someone who was like, sit down and like, Turn your brain off for 10 to 15 minutes. That sounds impossible. And looking back, my ability to have sat in our living room and stared at a wall and just like tears, just like coming, like streaming down my face for hours and days upon days and several weeks of like just the inability to function in any kind of normal way. And I think it was, again, looking back, probably a level of shock of like all these different components and the scrambling of like brain. And I love that you just said, like, you don't even know what to do. Like, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to call. So it wasn't like in that moment, I was like, well, I have such a resource of self-care tools. What should I pull out of my tool belt? I was just like utterly paralyzed, I think, by gripping fear and just not knowing who I was without all of these things. So it's important that I say that because I think it wasn't just like, and then here were the five steps of how I moved on. And this is how I hunt joy. And I just think like, that's so much BS. Like we have to talk about the face plan and we have to talk about how painful and hard and scary. And it felt like forever the face plant part, because I think when people are in that, they need to know that it's okay for that to feel like forever. And of course, you know, there's going to be an expiration date to that, but it doesn't feel like it in, in real time. So for me, I would say like the first thing I did was maybe the first time in my life, I allowed myself to be exactly where I was without trying to anticipate or without trying to bypass the emotions that I'd probably been running away from my entire life. And I just let myself sit there in the darkness, my internal darkness, and just be really sad and grieve all the things I felt I was losing, losing my career, losing opportunity, losing a future, losing a baby, losing an identity that I just let myself be really, really sad. And then our best friend was in a really similar place for totally different reasons. He was, he was coming out of a, a divorce. And he was heartbroken and Brad and I were so heartbroken over our miscarriage. So there came a moment where the invitation was, do you want to go on a road trip? And I thought, listen, I need to go on a road trip or I'm going to start making some bad choices in life. So yes, let's, let's rent that RV. Let's, let's try something different. But I certainly didn't speed up the face plant part, the really, really sad, like on the ground snot everywhere, heaving, crying. Oh, yeah. Like I did that for a long time. Mm, so did I, I had to learn how to do that much like you. I just in general live in the top half of the glass. I was just kind of born that way. It's the worst, frankly, and have always struggled. And it's, I've always struggled with hard things, with hard feelings, with big feelings, with loss, with grief, with sadness. I always want to hustle that through to resolution. I always want to find the through line and get to the other side of it. And sometimes life shatters so completely that is literally not an option. It just simply isn't. You you cannot bypass it. You cannot bypass the sorrow and the grief and even just the paralysis. Like, I mean, I can remember in my early days of this very similar year that I had as you I remember my mom sitting in front of me and like, you have to eat a bite, like one bite. Like that's where I was at. I was at the base level of eat a sandwich. Like I couldn't even muster that much less. What am I going to do with my shattered life? Like I was like, how am I going to sleep more than 25 minutes at a time? And can I eat a sandwich? That's it. That was the day. So I think it is important to say there is that, there's that place. And frankly, we have to have it. We have to have it. And we'll suffer worse if all we do is resist it. 
if we try to route around it. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful, that concept of resistance, right? Because I think that we aren't, we, we don't have classes growing up teaching us how do we deal with grief and how do we deal with sorrow and how do we deal with hard feelings and hard experiences and how do we process trauma? Like we're not having those conversations. So I think it, we live in a society where right now it's so easy to numb and it's so easy to distract ourselves so that we don't have to feel all the feelings that are uncomfortable. And it's that resistance. I don't know about you, but in that like people pleasing and the, how can we not have to deal with any of those hard feelings? And it just feels like it continues to compound. And so that's why I think for me it was, and I'm curious if for you with, with your marriage ending in 2020, like sometimes that tsunami has to be the thing that wakes us up, has to be the thing that we can't possibly like fumble our way through it, but utterly shatters us so that we can rebuild something that is more true and more That's honest to who we are. Completely true for me too. It wouldn't have been a path I would have chosen or certainly the the way in which it went down. But now, 3 years later, I can just say that offered me a new space to change some really important things. It turned out for me to be an invitation too, but boy, what a what a path, what a doozy. Let's talk about what happened. So you're like, sure, I'll run an RV. Yeah. Sure. That that feels like the logical thing to do. Let's let's the three of us rent an RV and just take our little broken hearts on the road. So what happened? Three broken hearted amigos. And we're like, and basically it was just like, I had to get the hell out of Dodge. That's all I knew. And again, we talked about the isolation of, of the pandemic. The idea of grieving in isolation just felt so unbelievably unnatural. And it was already May in Austin, you know, in Texas. So it was already blistering hot. Yeah. So it was like, we were basically <laughs> like stuck inside our house. That was it. It was like totally. in our house. It's not like we were going outside. So the idea of going on an RV trip, we were like, let's head west, like where it's cooler, <laughs> northwest. And it just, it was something that I could look forward to. It was something that, could take me out of my current state of sadness, which at that point I had such an emotional anchor inside of my house of like walking from my, from my bedroom into the living room, barely eating, sitting on the same couch in the same spot, staring at the same wall. And I just like reached a point where I was like, well, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> like, So yeah, it was just kind of this harebrained idea. None of us had ever driven an RV and we somehow, you know, my husband is a avatar giant. So he's six, nine. So we end up renting this like celebrity tour bus for a hundred dollars <laughs> a night because this, this woman, normally she rents it out yeah. for like $650 a night, but it was a pandemic. Yeah. Nobody was sure. Anyway, and it was early pandemic. So like, we didn't even yeah. know if we could get out of Texas state lines. We were like, they're yeah, going to yeah. see our Texas plates and literally <laughs> something. we're going to make it El Paso. We're going to yeah. make it 11 hours to El Paso. They're going to turn around, <laughs> send us back. Right. And so nobody was on the road. I mean, yeah, it, totally. It so apocalyptic. But we're in this huge, I think it slept 13 RV tour bus. And, oh my um, gosh. you know, Brad, <laughs> the three like, of you driving, it was like a Brad sized driving wheel. Like it actually fit him. But yeah, it was just like, get me out of, get me out of this state. And quite literally, like both the mental, emotional state as well as, as well as Texas. And, I think it was just to feel something different. And I, I, in going into it, it wasn't, you know, and I think these are like the best things in life. It wasn't like, I'm going to go on this trip and I'm going to have this life changing journey. And then I'm going to, you know, write a book about it. Like, I was just like, all I could think about were the next 10 minutes in my life. And then of course, I think when we are open to adventure and we are open to God showing up that for me, of course, it ends up being this profoundly life-changing journey of letting go of the old version of myself that I was so terrified of ever letting anyone really see me. And so this journey was the almost the like unlearning and the undoing and the remembering. Because I think that's the big thing. It wasn't like I like learned all of this new stuff because I think like 13-year-old Lex like knew what was up. Like she was so clear about what she liked, what she didn't like, who she liked, who she didn't like, who she was. And then I was staring at this like 35, 36 year old Lex who like I had so let the world convince me who 
like I should be. And I'd been such a good girl and I'd been checking all the boxes. And I think that was part of it was I felt so bamboozled by life that I was like, I did everything right. I played by the rules and I checked all the boxes and I did all the things. Aren't I supposed to be happy? Aren't I supposed to feel confident and feel good in my life? And so I think that was, yeah, that was the journey of the great undoing of my life. What did you remember? What did you rediscover? What had you buried? I think I buried one. I definitely buried like the fun, silly Lex. Like there's the, you know, like the, the part of me that loves adventure, the part of me that like Brad makes fun of me. Cause like, I'm always doing like accents and voices and like, I'm a, I'm a really kind of a goofy person. And I think I had adopted this idea of being a very serious activist. And that I was talking about very serious topics and that everything had to be like really intense and everything had to be me like fighting for something. And so I lost the, like this very whimsical, I'm going to, you know, I don't know when I was younger, I just felt like there was this vibrancy to me that kind of didn't give a damn what people thought. And I missed that part of me. So that was a big part of like reconnecting to that version of me that didn't have to be so polished all the time and so professional and so on point and so put together. It's exhausting. And so serious. So serious. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bowlinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I think the other thing that I've only learned in the past three years of like letting shedding, right? Shedding that version of myself and coming back to a more authentic, more true. Even before this podcast, I was so nervous because I felt like I was going into default setting. You know, I felt like I was like, oh my God, and my hair has to be this way and I have to wear this outfit and and like, I have to make sure the tech is all right. And I want to be so inspiring. And this is my first like interview back like since I wrote the book, since like this new version of me. And I felt so nervous presenting this new version of me. Like normally I would have stayed up for three nights and like written out every single, you know, like these are all the talking points that I want because I, I didn't trust myself to just show up and to let that be enough. 
and to share whatever I'm going to share. And maybe it's inspiring and maybe it's eloquent and maybe it's not because I have a six week old baby and I'm sleep deprived. You know? totally. So I think that totally. that was like the best, most freeing. And I love that you said the self-imposed, like how many, many invisible unspoken rules are we living by? And when we have the courage to really be critical about those and to say, what are my rules that I'm living by? Is it that I can only have a dessert once a week? Is it, you know, that I can only go out of the house with makeup on? Like all these things that I feel like it, it gave me the opportunity to, yeah, to let go of all the self-imposed limitations and judgment that I had on myself. And it's been a different level of freedom that I've never, I've never felt so comfortable in my skin as I do right now. It's worth the losses to get to that place. I I remember months into just uh, the complete restructure of my whole, everything, internal, external, all, where I thought I was talking to my mom. My mom had to come over to my house every day for a couple of months. And I said, it's so interesting because this is the very first time all the way that the outside me is the same as the inside me. I I didn't have anything left to protect. I'd lost it all. Like there was, the gig was up. Like, this is where we're at. This is what I have. This is what actually happened. It is absolutely oppositional to everything I've ever said, done or valued, taught, spoke on, written about. And so I didn't have anything left to protect. And so I didn't. And then I was like, whoa, there's like a, is this how it feels to be integrated? (laughs) Like, is this how it feels to be on the outside who you are on the inside? I like it. Like, I mean, it's clunky at best and it, it doesn't make everybody super happy, but I, I know that freedom and it is priceless. It is priceless. And so the just circuitous ways we have to get there sometimes feels at the time like well to me it felt like a death yeah um and then it was it was it was yeah Yeah. it was it was the death of a lot of things some things died and but some other things came to life because of it I want to hear you talk specifically about hunting for joy and what you mean by that and how that materialized what that looks like and all that yeah I think the first time that I had kind of a revelation of joy was first off to give context. I went to Lady Lodge youth camp in Lakey, Texas, which was this Christian sports camp growing up. And I went from the time that I was seven until they were like, please stop applying. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> you are too old to be a counselor. Um, Go to so college. From like seven, yeah. From <laughs> seven to like 21, they were like, seriously, stop. Like, But it, when I was that age and specifically in that place, I think that joy was my default setting. I think it was so effortless as a little person to feel joy. And it was, you know, this anything from the small things to the big things. It was feeling like I was like so filled up with the God of my understanding at moments that I could just like burst into tears. It was, you know, my camp crushes, Tanner Baker, what's up? You know, it was, it was like slushies. It was like all the things for two weeks. It was like the best two weeks of my entire life. And then of course, as I started getting older and started, you know, down the road of what I thought adulting was and this serious career path. And so the first thing on our road trip was we were headed out to New Mexico. I had a brother who lived in Santa Fe. So that was kind of our first stop where we were headed. And I saw a sign for Billy the Kid Museum. So one of my, I I grew up with four older brothers, but one of my brothers and I were obsessed with Billy the Kid. And so I was like, oh my God, you got to pull over. And it was this very kind (laughs) of, you know, fight, like childlike, you know, and Brad's like, what? And I'm like, babe, pull over. Like, Billy the kid. And Brad's like, what are you talking about? I was like, young guns and Billy Estevez. Come on, man. Like this was my (laughs) childhood. And we pull over. And of course it was COVID. Everything was closed down, but I'm like snapping selfies outside, sending them to my brother. And he's like, Oh my God, no way. And so it was just this very kind of back to that kind of feeling this vitality, feeling this like youth coming back. It was almost like it had she had been buried, you know, and she was like slowly coming to the surface. And then that night in in Santa Fe, we pulled up to a KOA. We pulled up to a RV park. 
which, you know, Brad's like learning how to like attach. Oh, the God, I can imagine this. Like, he's like uh-huh. dry. He, he's like, Ugh, you know, he's like trying to, we're like, none of us have ever yeah. RV'd. So we're like, totally. learning all the things on the fly. But at one point he and Nick, they were being very sweet and they were willing to watch this, what, like 1980s, 1990s, you know, Western movie with Heck me. Yeah. And, um, and so we're sitting outside, we're sitting around a fire. We just had s'mores. And there was this moment where it felt like everything slowed down. And I remember like putting my head back and looking up in, in New Mexico, it was just like, you could see every single star, like the sky was just breathtaking. And I remember having the thought, when was the last time I looked at the stars? And I couldn't remember like maybe years that I'd like walked outside on a starry night and stared up at the sky. And then I remember looking over at Brad and him like laughing along with this movie that I loved and being like, when was the last time I just like stared? At my husband, because he, as you know, he's the most epic laugh. Like I married the man for his laugh. And I was like, when was the last time I just was like present to this amazing laugh? And meanwhile, I was in like, pretty sure my sweatpants from college had like a beanie on. I think we had made like $5 worth of canned chili that we'd heated up. (laughs) Like it was just like such a, my entire life had distilled to this like very simple existence of being on the road with like one carry on worth of clothes with our best friend looking at my husband eating canned chili staring at the stars and i just remember being like whoa this is so simple and this brings me so much joy and when was the last time i felt this joyful and i think there was a distinction for me between happiness and joy because happiness feels like this very temporal fleeting emotion that like a cupcake makes me happy and then it's gone because I eat it and I want 10 more. Joy felt like this very internally sourced thing. Happiness felt very external to me. And so all of a sudden there was like this warmth that what I referred to is this like liquid gold that was like inside of me that was like starting to move again. Because back to the beginning of the conversation, what an ordinary, like what an ordinary experience, like sitting in an RV can chili with my best friend and my husband watching an old movie and thinking like, this is the most joyful I felt in years. And then it was kind of like, what happened? I think that was like, that was when I started asking those internal questions of like, where did you go? What happened? How did I get here? And then the next you know month being on this RV trip, I just started collecting these like perfect tiny moments. And then it's interesting because I used to love Easter egg hunting. That was like my holiday, mainly because I was a super competitive little girl. But that concept of hunting for Easter eggs, of where are these brightly colored Easter eggs like in the landscape? And I felt like that's what I started doing with my life was like, where are these tiny little brightly colored Easter eggs in my life? And that became the concept of joy hunting of like, it didn't mean that life was suddenly easy. It's not like we like, you know, suddenly got pregnant immediately or that my career came back or that like nothing on the front of hard things had changed. The only difference was that now I was collecting these tiny, perfect Easter eggs. Even if it was like one a day, I was finding these perfect moments. And that's when I was like, ooh, being a joy hunter, how do I collect these in life? Because like you said, life doesn't get easier. So, okay. Can you bring us up to speed? This was 2020. This is all like beautifully written about in your book. And now you are a person who lives in Montana and you have a baby. So (laughs) some stuff went down. Like some stuff happened. Can you kind of bring us to where you are? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So of our trip and we went all over, we went to several different States. And like you said, this epic, epic adventure when we hit Bozeman, Montana, and it was so unoriginal because it was like summer in Montana, you know, it was like so beautiful. And we were here for a little over a week and I had two really good girlfriends who lived here. And so we wanted to come here to see, there was like one of the many stops on our adventure. And I fell so in love with the Bridger mountains and with Montana that before we had even made the RV trip back to Austin, I had already rented an Airbnb and basically was like, Brad, how do you feel about moving to Montana for a month? Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure I'd already sent the deposit. I was like, we are for sure taking it. (laughs) I love it. And thank God Brad and our best friend, Nick, were like, 
again, it was June in Texas. It was already hundred degrees. So like selling them on going back to Montana for a month did not feel like a hard sell. So we actually ended up flying back to Bozeman. What was supposed to be one month in an Airbnb quickly turned into 11 months in the same Airbnb until we finally got kicked out. And she was like, you need to like actually rent a home or like, you need, we, I need, I need totally. to be able to like rent this to other people. I'm not a landlord. Right. Totally, exactly. Uh-huh. She was like, no yeah. offense. And of course during uh-huh. COVID she was like, yeah, this is a great deal. But then finally was like, I am not a landlord. You need to get out. And so we ended up finding another place for a year and, and we're just kind of this weird in between. And, and I also don't want to graze over like the three years of going, of living back and forth between Austin and Bozeman. That was really, really challenging for Brad and me. It was challenging on our marriage because I wanted to be in Montana so bad. And, you know, we're hometown Austin kids and he played professional basketball and we had retired, he had retired and come back to Austin and he was in commercial real estate. How can you compete with any other industry when you were in commercial real estate in the boom town of boom town? You cannot. So you can't. And everyone thought we were crazy. And we had a lot of resistance from people very close to us who thought this was insane. And I was the driving force. So I got a lot of the, the brute of that judgment was, why are you taking Brad out of Austin? Like, this is where he thrives. This, and so it was a really interesting moment for our marriage where I was like, no harm, no foul. But like, who's the tiebreaker? Because at one point, Brad was like, I'm, did you move to Montana? Like, is that an option in marriage? <laughs> like, and I was like, I really hope you want to be here too, you know, but it was, it was, that was a tough moment for us where it was like, well, how do we, who is the tiebreaker in marriage? And what if one person does want to move? And all I knew was that Montana, the awe of the mountains, the awe of like that beauty spoke to me in a way that was profoundly healing. So for the first year that I was here and especially with COVID, I was hiking every day and it felt like it was the panacea. Like it was the healing that I needed. And I just didn't want to let that go. And so we were going back and forth. And then finally, after like two and a half years, I finally capitulated. And I was like, okay, buddy, like, I get it. Like, you know, your career, your job is in, is in Austin. I can work from anywhere, obviously, as a writer. If we need to move back to Austin, that's what we need to do. And then you talk about, you know, you plan God laughs. Finally, when I gave in, all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in two weeks, and there was still a lot more heartbreak on the baby front that I found out that my eggs, after doing IVF, that that wasn't really an option for us again. So we had decided to get an egg donor, which already IVF felt a certain level of isolation. Infertility felt like a certain level of isolation. IVF felt like another layer of isolation, although I, I recognized the privilege in being able to afford IVF, and I was very grateful for that. And then when our doctor said, I don't see that as a path forward. An egg donor is really the next best option for you. So that felt even more isolating. I didn't know anyone that had ever had to online baby shop for, you know, for a baby mama, online date for a baby mama. And then at a certain point, we were told that I couldn't even carry. And so it was just like one, like grieving one thing after another of like nothing in parenthood and motherhood looked the way that we thought it was going to be. And it was so hard and so painful. For five years, we did this journey and watching other people get this thing that you want so effortlessly when they're like, we weren't even trying. And I was like, ha ha, insert stabbing myself in the heart, you know? And so it was, that was a real uh, painful journey. And that was simultaneous while we were going back and forth between Montana and here. And then within two weeks, we had actually found a second opinion, a, a second doctor who felt like I could carry with our egg donor, we only got two embryos. So it was really, you know, we had, we had little inventory. So it was a gamble for us to transfer one of those embryos into me. We didn't tell anyone at this point. I was just like, I can't even deal with people's disappointment for us. Absolutely. And so we actually flew to Houston and did the embryo transfer. And then within two weeks, we did the embryo transfer. We got pregnant. Brad got, when I say literally a dream job fell in his lap in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's, oh. yeah. He works at the Crazy Mountain Ranch, which is the most spectacular 18,000 acre dude ranch in the entire world. And he's head of sales for that. And, and they're building a golf course. So, you know, my man loves himself some golf. So it was like, it was golf, it was real estate, it was Bozeman. His, his boss, Sam Byrne, is, is the dreamiest boss anyone could ever work for. So Brad gets this incredible job offer out of nowhere. 
we end up putting in an offer on a house here and we end up getting pregnant all within two weeks. That's so bananas. it was like that's five years of like nothing working and being in that weird in-between state, which I think is really painful when you're in the already not yet stage of life. We knew we were going to be parents somehow, whether we adopted, whether we fostered, whether like we knew that that we were committed to that. But all of that unfolded in a very, very short amount of time. We we're like, damn, for you know, five years it was so painful. And then like boom, it felt like everything clicked into into place. Yeah. So now I have a six week old baby, which even that didn't turn out the way I thought it was gonna thought it was gonna go. Can you talk about that just a little? Yeah. I don't know if this resonates with you or any of your listeners, but I definitely felt like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I've like I've sat with a lot of hard things. I deserve a break. Like, okay, God, I deserve a break. And so, you know, we got these kind of, we got this beautiful house that we now get to call a home. Brad got this dreamy job. I get pregnant. I was like, here we go. Okay, we're on the upswing. Things are really working out right now. And so I get pregnant and the pregnancy was relatively, relatively uneventful, which is what you want in a pregnancy. That's right. And at about, seven weeks until I was due my water breaks and Brad had just gotten on a flight and was headed to Cabo to go on his last hurrah of a golf trip with guys. My mom was supposed to be out here closer to the time of my birth. And all of a sudden I'm like in Montana by myself, my water breaks. I'm in the hospital calling Brad being like, you have to get back here. Not to mention we now have a compromised situation of a premature baby. I end up getting hospitalized for two and a half weeks. I'm trying to, you know, keep him incubated a little bit longer. And then I end up having a 30 hour labor before they do an emergency C-section. And then my son is sent to the NICU for two and a half weeks and then eventually sent home on oxygen. And during that whole time for those two months, I, I think that was my realization of, oh, life doesn't necessarily get easier. And thank God I have this entire, and, and part of me felt like, I wrote this entire book, you know, that was all about like joy hunting. And now with God being like, can you really do it? Can you like, can you walk the talk? That's right. Because all of a sudden as a new mom, wondering if my son was going to live, wondering if he was going to be okay. He had to be immediately intubated. He couldn't breathe right when he came out, was having a really hard time breathing, all those things. And it was even in these moments of this is the most scared I've ever felt the most fear I've ever felt in my entire life. These are the worst circumstances I could have ever imagined on an already unbelievably hard journey to parent just to get to the starting line. And it really was, I think, a little bit of a test of like, can you really walk, can you really walk the talk? And can you really every day as I'm living in a NICU, every day, can you find one Easter egg? None of this is how you want it to be. And, and there were so many moments of touch and go moments. So yes, now he is off oxygen. My husband, I actually just saw him walk past the window. He like gave me a wave. He just got his first round of vaccines and he gave me the thumbs up. He's like, you did this. <laughs> and now we have this like chunky, feels yeah. chunky to us because he's nine, uh-huh. he's over nine pounds and huge. five pounds. He's yeah. huge. Um, and of course he's 22 inches long. So they're blown I mean, away. And I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be a giant. That's not a shock. This not is a not shocker. a shock. You knew, you knew. Like, yeah, and, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, none of it turned out the way that I thought it would. And yet I think everything has turned out better. Yeah. And I think and that's you know, kind frankly, of the irony of it. That is the point. Like your story, your book, it's not a story you tell because everything turned out. Do you know what I mean? You don't, that's not it. It's not that it was hard. And then I got everything I ever dreamed of. And now I'm going to tell you about it. Like, yeah. that's not <laughs> Nobody how would it read goes. That book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's those... not true. Like, yeah, it's not true. It's not true. And life just continues to be life. And it's not because we did anything right or wrong. It's because how it is to be a human. And so these principles are evergreen. They're evergreen in and out of seasons, like in and out of, things that are going just right when you are just like the wind is at your back. And then when you hit yet another moment of like fear and potential loss or catastrophic suffering, it still holds. It all still holds. And so I think those are the only messages I can give a damn about 
at this stage of my life. Like, I don't want shiny guaranteed outcome messages. That's not real. Those don't work. They do not bear out. And so I only want the ones where it has to be true at all times. Is the, Can this be true today? Could, can it be true in 2020? Can it be true not just for me with every amount of privilege at my fingertips? Is it true for anyone? And so those are the ones that I gravitate to. And so I love that you are kind of wrapping your story by saying, even with this like much wanted baby, even yeah. then. That was a hard mm-hmm. entry. Yeah. And it yeah. was scary. And it wasn't like, ah, mm-hmm. wasn't. You still had to practice all this. Yeah. And practice it every day. Like as any new mom knows, any new parent knows. I'm practicing it every day with why well, when you're battling sleep deprivation and sore nipples and all the things that are hard and painful of being a mom. And yet I'm still searching for those Easter eggs, those perfect moments where when I'm feeding my son and he like wraps his tiny hand around my yeah. finger and I'm like, there we go. There, there it is. Go, Easter egg. There it Got is. Got one. There's my moment. Filled my quota. Yeah. An interesting thing about the book is that when I finished it, we still weren't pregnant. We still didn't know how, what the journey looked like. It was still going to be another year. And as you know, publishing, you know, takes a year, year and a half. And so at the time my publisher was like, I love that you are ending this book without a bow on it. It's not like I ended the book and and it's interesting to look back and read it now because I even say like, I wish I could finish this book and tell you that I had a sleeping baby next door. I wish that I could tell you that like my career came back and it was like more successful than ever. I wish I could tell you, but the reality is I am still in the midst of all of the hardship and all of the pain, but also that every day I can find not 50, not 10, one moment of absolute joy. And that is enough for me. And that feels like to your point of a philosophy that is evergreen, that is even in the midst of sorrow and grief and sadness and hurt and pain and betrayal and disappointment and all the things that are so human that we can find in one moment, one shiny, you know, lightning bug in the midst of our darkness. And if we start collecting those, it's shocking how quickly we have a jar full of brightness. So the book, you guys, is called Joy Hunter, Messy Face Plants, Radical Love, and the Journey That Changed Everything. So excited for you. Thank you for the labor of writing it down. Writing it down is its own healing process for most of us, but it's also, you, you have to dredge up a lot of pain too to do it. So it is a labor. There's a cost to it. And so thank you for paying the cost. Also, fun fact, you named your baby Bridger after the mountains. I can't do it. I did. I did. It's too much. It's too meta. I can't handle it. It is a bit meta. And his name is Bridger. Bridger Austin is his middle name. So we were like our two favorite places in the world. That's right. Tale of two places. That's so perfect. One last question. Everybody gets this. Everybody, every guest, every series. I borrowed this question from Barbara Brown Taylor. She's an Episcopal priest and I love her. And also you can answer this however you want. It can be like beautiful and lovely and profound and it can be absurd. I don't care. It, we get all things and we love all answers. What's saving your life right now? I'm going to have to go with two things. I'm going to say sleep oh, and my yeah. husband. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For instance, like I slept upstairs last night because I was like, babe, I have my first podcast back. And he was like, I got little man. Like, and he took him for the entire night and let me get sleep. So the the combination, like I don't get sleep without my husband paying a hefty, amazing toll. And he is, as you can imagine, the dreamiest partner. And that man was built to be a father, (laughs) but I, that may sound really simple, but no, it doesn't. I I realized quickly in parenthood that your sleep is over. It's just a series of napping. That's right. That's it. That's That's my future. That's that's where I am in life right now. Oh my God. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. There comes a night where you like crack open your eye and the light is coming in from the sun. And you just, for one minute, you just think this is it. I've achieved nirvana. I slept yeah. through the night. My baby I can't slept even, through the night. I can't like, even imagine I know. That. You're not there. Yeah, you're not I'm there. not there. I'm so far from there. So <laughs> not there. It does come. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to text me moments. Uh, remind yeah. me of that. Yeah, it absolutely. does. It does come. I just am so proud of you. And I'm so 
delighted to see you. And thank you so much for jumping. I mean, you've got a hat on, you have on earrings, like you did it. You did (laughs) the thing. Like, no, I cannot, not at the six month mark. I mean, can you just tell everybody like that would like to know more, that would like to read the book, that would like to follow along with your little fun little life, where to find you? Sure. To find me online, social media is just at Alexis Jones and the book can be found anywhere books are sold. Your favorite local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, you name it. That's great. We'll link to everything you guys. So we'll have all your stuff for you. Okay, sis. Thank you so much. So much love to you. Your husband that I love, your baby that I'm just so delighted is a part of our little world. Mm. Just couldn't be happier for you. Could not be happier. Thank Thank you. you for being here today. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, you guys, isn't she fantastic? As mentioned, if you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'm going to have this whole interview, all the show notes, and then I'll put all of Alexis's links up to her socials and all her work so you can read more and see more and follow along. What a delight. What a great story, right? What a great story. I'm inspired. I really am. I'm inspired by that and deeply relating to everything she said today. And so come back next week, you guys, this whole series called Finding Calm in the Chaos is fire. And it's more of this. It is more of this. It's less do, 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 right? Like achieve, achieve, achieve. It's more like, where's the calm? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Is it still possible even now? And my thesis is that it is. And so I think you're going to love the whole series. If you have not already subscribed, do so. And you'll never miss an episode. So you can listen to this wherever you get your your podcasts. We are delighted to continue to serve you, podcast community. You know how much we love you. So on behalf of Laura and her whole crew and Amanda and I, we love you and we'll see you next week. 